Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. This is something we do as an extension of our tennis podcast. And uh, today we have uh, Anand's return, who's the co-host of Tennis Podcast, and a special guest, Richard Evans, uh, who covers tennis and cricket and is an iconic name in both sports uh, contribution fields. And he also has a new book called Roving Eye, uh, which covers his uh, journey as a reporter in all fields. And uh, please uh, give it a read. This book is available on Amazon. Uh, welcome, Richard. Thank you, and uh, good to be with you again, talking cricket for a change. Yeah, your first love, huh? Cricket. <laughs> I think it's the best game in the world, frankly. I love tennis, adore tennis. Um, but uh, for a sporting contest over five days, there's nothing like test cricket. It's like a Shakespearean play, and it unfolds in chapters, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. Cricket that turned that match around, and then of course um, Botham was the hero in Edgbaston, and uh, taking five wickets for one run in twenty-eight balls to to wrap that up. So England really did come back from nowhere in nineteen eighty-one with some thrilling cricket. I I don't think this team has got an Ian Botham. I don't think it's got a Bob Willis. Uh, it hasn't got a Mike Brearley as captain, with due respect to Joe Root. He's got a lot to learn. And um, so that, uh, as you were referring to, that middle order batting is uh, very problematical. You, you have to rely on Joe Root to score some runs, which he hasn't done um, massively, if I can use that phrase again, so far. Um, Vince is, is top scorer, I believe, with 83. He's obviously a big talent, but he's hopelessly inconsistent. Um, Stoneman looks probably the best of the lot. David Milan coming late to the scene. He's a very experienced cricketer for Middlesex uh, in his late 20s. He's looked good, um, scored a 50 like most of them have, but you've got to kick on. You can't just be happy with a 50. You've got to be able to convert it into centuries. And that England middle order doesn't look as if it's capable of doing so. And why Bairstow is down at number seven when he's ostensibly the second best batsman, well, maybe the third, if you want to include Cook, who's not what he was, um, why is he batting at seven? Um, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And of course, as you will know, I don't have to ask you, there's uh, an elephant in the room, isn't there? But he's not in the room. He's in New Zealand. Yes, he is. And I, and I actually, I, I was going to bring him up because you started this with Ian Botham and the player that is probably closest to Botham that England has had since since the 80s is, is Ben Stokes. And Absolutely. Well, Flintoff was, I would say, a poor man's Botham. He did have an amazing series, um, uh, Ashes in between. But um, do you think, Richard, that having Ben Stokes in this team would have in any way changed the result? I think it could well have done. You, you, I mean, Ben Stokes is, is potentially one of the great cricketers of, of all time. He's hugely talented with the bat and the ball and in the field. But uh, apart from that, he's got this Botham-esque ability to, to, to get into people and to rally his colleagues and to be the personality spearhead yeah, in a way that really James Anderson, for all his 
superb bowling and all the wickets he's taken. He's not that kind of personality. Stokes is a personality, which, of course, I used to say this about John McEnroe and Ilya Nastasi. People say, oh, if only they could behave differently. Sorry, if they behaved differently, they wouldn't have been who they were and they wouldn't have been as successful. It's part of the makeup. You can't cherry pick and say, yes, well, we like this part of someone's personality, but we don't like that. Well, uh, you know, Ben Stokes gets into these stupid situations because he doesn't stop and think, because maybe he's uh, distracted and, and easily led. All the personality traits that you don't want in your star player in a five-test series against Australia. But as a cricketer, as an inspirational personality on the field, he's irreplaceable. He, he is our match winner. And he's not so, there. Uh, it's interesting. And uh, speaking of the England batting order, it does look deep, doesn't it? When you have Bairstow at seven, and you even have uh, people like Chris Wokes, who's pretty handy with a bat, uh, batting further down the order. The problem I see, Richard, is that if you flip this, if you if you flip anyone in this batting order, anyone's position around, it doesn't fundamentally change the quality of batting meaning number seven is almost as good as number four, is almost as good as number two, which means they're all somewhat good, but nobody's really great, I say, besides uh, Joe Root, of course. Um, that, that seems to be a problem. Well, I think I think you're, you're probably um, not doing uh, Bairstow a favor there. I think he's very talented, and he is a great batsman, and he's not going to score as many runs as he would if he's got to uh, worry about the tail because that's who he's left batting with. If, if you put him in at five, it would be a very different matter um, or should be because he has the talent to score quickly and score big. And uh, it's very difficult to go on doing that uh, when you're worried about wickets falling the other end from batting at number seven. So if you think about uh, the players that have been left out of the squad, uh, so one the, the obvious replacement for one of these batsmen would be uh, Gary Balance. Um, do you see any of these changes in any way happening in the third test and potentially uh, helping England along the way? No, the, the match they, they're playing now, um, Balance didn't score any runs. Um, unfortunately, Moeen only got about 24, and Moeen's a problem suddenly. I mean, the hero of the summer, um, but he he was hurt, I think, before the tour or ill, and then he had a, a split on his spinning finger. He's obviously not enjoying the conditions, so he's not taking wickets, not bowling well. That seems to have affected his batting. And so suddenly from being one of the leading members of the team, Moeen's turned into a, a problem on this tour. Um, it won't be a long-term problem, I'm sure, once he gets back to uh, to England. But it is at the moment. And where do you bat him? And do you drop him? But you can't bring in balance. Uh, you know, balance has had lots of opportunities and he hasn't taken them. So uh, I really don't know what you do. I'll actually go back and ask a question to both of you of the, the two top Englishmen, Cook and Root. And there's an article that's, uh, you know, breaking down their averages at home. They... Uh, I think combined for 106 runs and in innings. And in the last few years on the road, they are averaging close to just 80 runs. And that's a big problem right there. Richard, you want to go first? Yeah, it is a problem. If you, you've, you know, to win test matches, you, you've got to make big scores and you've got to have batsmen who can go out and score centuries. And now that Cook isn't 
the kind of player you can rely on to score 100 at the top of the order. And Joe Root's got the weight of the captaincy on him. Is that affecting his batting? You never really know over a short period of time. We'll find out over the long term. Um, without big totals, you're not going to win uh, an Ashes series, especially in Australia. Yeah, I mean, my take is this. They're two very different kind of failures, I guess, uh, if, if you can call Joe Root uh, run a failure. Um, Cook has the problem that when he starts scoring runs and when he's in form, he scores them in spades. Uh, he'll actually have outsized returns. He'll score 400, 500 runs in a series. He did that recently even when he uh, you know, scored a big 200. Um, but Root, on the other hand, is a c- completely the opposite problem. Is He continues to be very consistent. Uh, so he's actually scored uh, 50 in almost every test that he's played in the last two years. Uh, but he doesn't kick on and score that 100. So his conversion is really bad right now. So he's, he scored 1,300s in about 3550s. Um, so in, in their own way, I think they, they contribute to the same problem, which is not enough runs. But uh, I, I think in, in Cook's case, it's, it, it looks worse because when he's off, he look, he's, he's really bad. He's not even scoring those 50s. So Anand, you make a good point. So Richard, is fair to say that Roots also... Uh, feeling the pressure of expectations captaining this England side. Of course, he's one of the four best batsmen in the world. And you think in Ashes series, the captain's under immense pressure. He's playing good, but he's not playing great. Yes, I mean, I, I think, you know, everybody reacts differently to responsibility. And uh, some players have uh, blossomed with the responsibility of captaincy and their average has gone up. At the moment, Root doesn't seem to uh, be following that. Uh, uh, unhappily for England. Um, hopefully he can get over it. A, a big hundred for him in Perth would probably do wonders for him. Um, but that, you know, the, the whacker wicket is, is a bouncy, fast wicket. And um, maybe Australia has the better attack, Stark and Cummins and uh, Hazelwood, uh, they look a more potent unit than, than England at the moment, despite the fact that Anderson can always bowl brilliantly. And uh, Tom Curran's come into the side and looked quite good. Um, he's scoring runs as well. He scored runs in this current match. I think he got 77. So that's encouraging. Um, but England have been, you know, let's be fair, England have been unlucky with with their fast bowlers. They're uh, speaking as a Middlesex man. Um, wouldn't it be nice to have Steve Finn and Roland Jones out there? They were both picked uh, uh, rightly on their form during the summer. Um, Steve Finn has taken a bucket of wickets for England. He's a wicket taker. Roland Jones stepped up at the end of the summer and proved that he could do it at uh, test level as well. And they're both injured. And uh, in, in a way, it's a second string pace attack apart from Anderson. Um, and Broad, who, you know, you never know what you're going to get from Broad. Um, The fact that he doesn't score runs is a complete joke because he's a very talented cricketer, um, started life as a batsman. He's got a a father who scored more runs in Australia than practically anyone ever did. And um, he's down the bottom of the order, scratching around for four and five and ten. I mean, that's a complete waste. I think he hasn't been the same. Uh, 
he did have his issues and he admitted to as much um but i i think he sorted them out somewhat uh, he came back uh, you know a couple of series ago and uh, he had a few runs but, but to richard's point he's he's probably the probably the underachiever with the bat uh, and i think he's underachieving with the ball as well yeah. um yeah. to be honest broad is an issue but uh, i wanted to ask you richard um obviously australia pulled a rabbit out of the hat with nathan lyon nobody seemed to be focusing on on the spin bowler here and you know it it, it looked like you know it was going to be a contest of uh, the english pace bowlers against the australians and there was talk of the australians being faster Uh, and then here you have Nathan Lyon who's who's really t- picking up all those wickets i was amazed i've forgotten what his total is but he's taken a stack of test wickets isn't he one of the leading wicket takers for australia now um yeah. uh, does anyone know the the total off the top of their head i think he's close to the 250 range but i could be wrong uh, we can yeah. check the stats yeah it's um it's a whole lot of wickets and and he's been at it a long time now i remember i was in australia where, a few summers back um down there when he got his first cap and he looked a bit strange and uh, you know people weren't sure about him and he's turned into this formidable performer and uh, you're quite right it's not just about the three quicks it's about nathan lyon being able to produce something completely different from the other end yeah two, so 280 wickets uh at a little over 30 and considering he's bowled mostly on uh, you know on pitches like the waka yeah. um i think that's that's very uh, very credible uh, in fact i mean if you compare him to even shane warren um his performance in this ashes looks pretty good yeah and he really bowled well in india as well he bowled well in india too he he uh, you know he and uh, steven o'keefe won a match for them um i think in general he's 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 very underrated and uh, he's not just picked up tailenders he's picked up quality wickets right up at the top and uh, for england for instance moin ali is is known to be one of their better players of spin and nathan lyon has got him four times this is psychological advantage i would and uh, moin being the off spin bowler on the other side uh let's go back i mean uh, richard made some excellent point about you know it was you know about the english uh, pacemen uh, i have a question richard uh, you look at these stats on cricket info a lot of them are listed right arm fast medium and then the few like graham dilly and bob willis uh, i think the only two englishmen i remember who are listed right arm fast so what is the distinction and why england have produced mostly right arm fast medium or left arm fast mediums while australia have these pacemen this obsession with pace you think that's been the undoing especially when they tore outside of the english conditions which are more conducive to you know seam and swing well yes i mean you know any side can do with a genuinely fast bowler and uh, finn gets wickets by bowling like the wind um and that's why well they they completely ruined him for a period he got appallingly coached when he when he started having a technical problem in australia what was it four winters ago and uh they had to they they said he was unselectable which was one of the uh, worst comments i've ever heard from an england coaching party and they sent him back to middlesex who who sorted him out in 3 weeks and he was taking wickets for middlesex by the beginning of may uh so uh, finn has had a rough ride in many ways uh, and he hasn't been well handled but even then he's got uh, 
is it 200 wickets for England? He's certainly got over 100 anyway. And uh, he can get batsmen out with sheer pace. And we, we need more of that. But the problem is, you know, the, the Ball and Wood and, and Roland Jones and Finn, they they all get injured. And I I find it a little bit worrying about how bowlers who use the same action with the same ball, playing the same game on the same wickets in the same weather, now get injured, whereas in the days of Alec Betzer and Peter Loder and Brian Statham and Frank Tyson, they didn't. Now, no one's quite been able to answer that question for me. And I, 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 think, I think something Betzer said to me when we were having a conversation once, I've met him a couple of times, and he said uh, when he was retired and much later, and he was a bit of a grumpy old guy, but he said, what's all this gym stuff? What are you doing in a gym? He said, <laughs> he said I, I, I walk to the Oval, I bowl all day, and I walk home. That's all I do because I'm a bowler. And I, I really believe in this business of doing what you do and don't try and get other muscles involved. If you're a fast bowler, there are a certain set of muscles you need to use to bowl fast. Don't complicate it. Don't do all this other stuff that has nothing to do with running up to a wicket and hurling the ball down with an overarm. That's what the body has been taught to do. Leave it alone. And th there is no other real explanation for why so many fast bowlers get so injured so often in this age when we're way ahead with uh, uh, all the medical um, knowledge that we have today and how athletes are looked after and all the equipment and it's completely different but instead of having fewer injuries we have more so something's wrong it's interesting you say that about the story about alec betzer is great uh, we also heard an interview from michael holding where he pointed out that there's just the bowlers today, they're, they're bowling way too much because there's three formats and they're playing way too much cricket um, across the board and traveling all over the world. So as much as they're spending time in the gym, they're also over bowling themselves. Uh, and something's got to give at that point. Um, so his recommendation was play less cricket and probably... Even less test cricket. Le even less test cricket. And to add to that, maybe what, what you're saying is don't go to the gym every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think, I think the travel has got something to do with it. Um, they're traveling far more than they used to. I mean, I'm not even talking about the days when, when the England team got on a boat and spent uh, six weeks getting to Australia. I'm not even referring to that, but they, they, they didn't get on as many planes. And for fast bowlers, even if you're in business class, being on a plane as frequently as they are for the distances they travel is not good. It can't be good. Um, and as far as playing too much cricket, I don't know whether it's too much. I think the different forms of cricket may have something to do with it because um, 
you know, when I started watching cricket, there were, there was, uh, there were five test matches in the summer and they were playing for their counties, you know, from the end of April to the beginning of September. They were playing as much cricket, but it was, it was one form of cricket. It was either four-day or test matches. And I don't know whether the one-day uh, cricket or, or the 2020 blast has made a difference but but uh, it is it is very strange because uh, you know we should be having fewer injuries it it, it stands to reason uh, because unlike tennis where the players today are using totally different equipment both rackets and strings heavier balls and hitting the ball almost twice as hard as rod laver and ken rosewell hit it um they they have an excuse. They have a reason for getting hurt because they're asking their body to do things that Roswell and Labour never asked their bodies to do. But fast bowling is pretty much the same. You, you you run up the same length. As I said, you you use the same action. You use the same ball. And injuries should be fewer, and they're not. Has, has the fact that batting has become... A- conditions have become batting friendly has that had an effect on bowlers trying to uh, create more and stressing themselves as a result yeah i would think that might have something to do with it i mean if you picked up one of the modern bats you think you're just waving a tree trunk around i i i, I did heard lords last summer i mean they are so heavy and so thick compared with the 20 years ago or 15 years ago um, so the batsman hit the ball harder. Um, that creates, I suppose, a different uh, tension in the bowler's mind, maybe. I, so the, are they striving too hard? Um, I don't know. It's it, it's a very strange equation to work out. Okay, so let's do a similar segue. Like, you know, when we spoke about tennis, because you've covered cricket and you watch cricket, and you know, close quarters, you know, probably one of the better seats in the house at Lords. Uh, I know you said in tennis, it's not about the stats, how you measure who are the greatest players, it's how they play. So what are some of the modern day batsmen and some of the batsmen from 25 or 30 years ago? Uh, who will make your top uh, test list if you have to name two or three batters who are just exquisite and pure talent, timing, temperament, how they saw the ball and uh, basically, you know, the total package? Well, I mean, you know, if I had to pick a favourite batsman to watch, it would probably be David Gower because he made it look so absurdly easy. Um, and he had so much skill. Um, but in, in in the whole history of the game, obviously Don Bradman it was was a, a freak, um, uh, scoring as many runs as he did. But uh, we we haven't really replaced Lara and Tendulkar, have we, in, in the last couple of decades? I mean, they stand out as being... Um, special players um, in their different ways. And Gavaskar as well. I, I mean, Gavaskar, what he achieved with the number of runs, <coughs> excuse me, with the number of runs he scored at Test cricket, you have to take into account that all the other, all the other batsmen in the world were feeding off a rather lame Indian attack, which he was never able to do. And he was facing at his height of what was he five foot six Gavaskar? Um, the the Indian pace attack, the the marshals and the holdings and 
uh, all of them. They were all, all terrifying. And he was having to play them. Uh, and he never he never got a chance to score all those easy runs off the Indian attack that all his all his rivals did. So I think you've got to put Gavaskar up there, <clears throat> and and to a certain extent Tendulkar, Tendulkar as well. And how about Viv Richards? Uh, uh, Viv, Viv Richards was um, out of this world as well. I mean, just a, a complete genius. He must have had the fastest eye, um, but. Um, those are the ones that spring to mind as being exceptional. But I can't forget my boyhood hero, Dennis Compton, who played for Middlesex, who um, was a complete genius like David Gower, and he could take any attack apart and produce any kind of shot that you could think of and many that he thought up all by himself. So you've got to put Dennis in there. And, and of course, the two South Africans we were not fortunate to witness in on it stage and Grant Pollock. Um, so, how, so for our younger listeners here, and I, I'm sure they will be shocked to hear you say, uh, you know, the, the, the players of these previous generations were probably better. Uh, how would you rate the current, uh, let's call them the big four, um, uh, Virat Kohli and Steve Smith and Joe Root and Williamson. I'll add uh, A.B. De Villiers and Hashi Mamla to that mix. Uh, they're all very skillful players. They are. Uh, and how would you see them uh, in comparison to uh, the Tendulkars and Gara, you know, uh, Comptons of the world? I don't think the, the the book is closed yet. I think we've got to wait and see if they can accumulate the kind of uh, runs that um, the ones we've been talking about, Tendulkar and Gavaskar and, and Lara and Richards, um, both Richards. Um, and so I think we'll have to wait. Steve Smith, I think, is exceptional, um, and uh, he could turn into something really great. But I think we've just got to bide our time. When we think of batting averages in cricket, um, it seems like, you know, 20 years ago, an average of 50 was considered uh, to be great. Um, it almost seems like that number needs to be nudged up to, say, 55 or 57. Uh as a, as a mark of greatness, almost, uh, for this era. Would you agree? Yes, when I say that, you know, the tennis players use different equipment, I mean, referring back to the bigger bats, I, I, I think that's helped batsmen. Uh, I, I think uh, they're, they're physically stronger than their predecessors. And uh, I think if some of their predecessors had used these bats, they might have scored a few more boundaries as well. So I think you've got to take that into account. And also taking account, uh, this has become more of a batsman-friendly game. Uh, pitches all over the world have been reduced to somewhat. Uh, the surfaces are slow. The bounce has been negated. And uh, bowlers don't have the leverage of, you know, chin music or bouncers. So it is a batsman's game. Yes, I think it is. Um, we're going to get, um, we're going to see how the whacker plays because that can produce some chin music. But one of, one of my... In most endearing sights of, of defiance was not Viv Richards, although he could produce exactly the same thing I'm going to describe, but Richie Richardson, who took over the West Indies captaincy from Viv. And it was ju just before the, the helmets became virtually uh, universal and, and you had to wear them. And uh, Richardson came out to bat at the Wacker, and they had this 
giant of a West, uh, Western Australian bowler called um, Joe Angel, who wasn't that great, but my goodness, he was fast and he could bounce it the height of the Eiffel Tower. And he was pretty fearsome on that wicket. And uh, dear Richie Richardson um, strolled out to bat wearing his floppy sun hat. And I noticed on his left wrist, a very expensive watch. And I thought, wow, that is a statement. That is a statement <laughs> that I'm prepared to wear this watch and you're not going to hit it and you're not going to hit my head and I'm going to hit you out of the whacker. And it was written all over his body language and his demeanor and everything else. And I thought, uh, leading from the front, that's that's pretty good. And I, th I think he got a 50. And um, it was just something I remember. But Viv Richards could produce that kind of arrogance, that kind of uh, watch out, here I come attitude, which um, not many other players have, have managed. So perhaps a, a sobering thought, and, and I know there's a parallel in tennis as well with the big four retiring. Do you feel that cricket is becoming... I would say more mediocre. Um, there's the the contest is being snuffed out with, with the pitches be becoming homogenous, and uh, and is it just a, a sport that's worse off today for the lack of greatness? No, I I, I wouldn't say that. I think um, the pitches do need to be looked at. We do need variety in any sport. You need variety. You need different types of personality, different styles, different skills uh, played on different surfaces. We have that in tennis, although we could do with more variety. Um, so I I don't think uh, the the game is 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 getting worse. I think in many ways it's getting better. In, in some ways it's getting more difficult, but. Uh, you know, everything goes in cycles. We we will produce another genius. Ben Stokes should be it. He should be in Australia, uh, but he's not. And that's his own fault. And that's really sad for cricket because he creates the kind of excitement that gets the youngsters involved and you need them going to watch. And uh, if Ben Stokes was playing, I guarantee the attendances would be a lot bigger than they have been. This is supposed to be a short chat, but you know we are greedy. So I'll wrap this up with a two-tiered question. It's an extension of what Anand just asked. So I would even say that, go this far by saying uh, Test cricket today has more results, but a lot of those results are lopsided. And I honestly think teams are or players are not uh, prepared well enough to save a Test match. That's a skill that's pretty much gone. So that's why we see what a lot of one-sided results in Test cricket series are. Series score lines are like three zero, four zero. Everybody's invincible at home. Uh, and you think that's also part and package because nobody can bat to save a test match. And that's also affected the likes of county cricket because the standard of international players participating has gone down. And as a whole, batsmen of this generation are just busy playing the 2020 blast, like you said, and ODIs. And it's just a packed calendar. So you think the two go in hand in hand? I think the calendar's dreadful. I think uh, I know it's very difficult to argue against because it makes money. But uh, 2020 cricket has got to be confined and we cannot go down the route of making way everywhere for more and more 2020 cricket because you will take away the art of batsmanship and you will never get big scores again and you won't find batsmen who can save a test match. And if you lose that... Cricket becomes a different sport. It becomes, you know, a form of baseball. 
and it it would be a total tragedy. But the, the I have no faith in the people who lead the game. They make horrendous decisions with the calendar and all sorts of things. The ICC have finally come around to my suggestion of having some kind of a test final. Uh, the problem with test cricket to a large extent, is it It doesn't go anywhere. The West Indies play India, yeah, and what? The Ashes is the only test series that grabs the imagination because of its history. But there is a league, a test league, but nobody pays a blind bit of notice to it because there's no final. What are you all doing? So you end up number one. When? Where? Where's the trophy? And I suggested to the ICC 10 years ago, but you must have a final. Play it at Lords, play it at Melbourne, play it wherever you want, but have Australia playing India or whatever in a final for Test cricket. And then at least you've added a little something, a little more excitement, a little raison d'etre for the whole thing. It's not there. And I think they're now coming around to it. Um, they won't recognize the fact that I suggested it to them, but I don't care. Uh, just get it done. Yeah, I think so. That's a very good starting point. So, Richard, thanks for the lovely chat. <laughs> and uh, to pick your brain. I mean, uh, we are fans. <laughs> That's right. We care.